Good morning. It is good to be here. For those who are not used to seeing the preacher carry his phone up front, uh, I use it to record my messages, and it actually has become the most valuable study tool that I have. And I, I uh, will not discourage you from bringing your phone to church, but I would greatly encourage you to use it for all the good that you can. There's a lot of valuable Bible apps. There is, uh, there's good that can be done with technology, and I appreciate what Jason shared this morning. For today's message, it is a continuation of a message that I preached last, several Sundays ago. That message was titled, My Heart for the Church. This message, I want to read a verse and take my title from the verse. And it's the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. I have to find the, the verse here. For some reason, I'm not remembering the exact verse. But in verse 19, he says this, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. So the title for my message is, Circumcision is Nothing, and Uncircumcision is Nothing. Last Sunday, I, I want to make sure I'm still recording here, yes. Last Sunday I talked about, or the last time I preached, I talked a lot about uh, what it means to me to be a Mennonite, and I expressed value for the way that we operate as Mennonites, our way of life, but in the end, uh, I made a statement uh, that I think that our, our system is a failure. And I want to expound a little bit more on that today. Thinking of speaking words of life or words of death, how are you going to hear me this morning? My heart is to speak words of life. But depending where you find yourself, maybe you will not consider them words of life. But I want you to hear my heart. I want this to be a presentation. I'm not asking you to agree with everything that I say this morning. I am asking you to think about what I say. We need to be thinkers. We can't just expect to live a vibrant and growing Christian life by just being a duck in a row and bobbing your head whenever the rest of them do. We need to think, we need to ask questions. We need to have passion. Someone asked me recently, how do other churches in the community consider your church? Are you liberal or conservative? My response was that I don't think people really know quite where to place us. What is liberal and what is conservative? Does it not really come down to one's own opinion? 
So I think there's really no good answer for that. I've said this in the past, I would say we're more of a curiosity. We operate in a way that is not commonly seen in a Mennonite church. For me personally, perhaps I operate in a way that seems strange to you. If so, I hope you'll have a better understanding after the message today. But in short, it would have to do, the reason a lot of what drives the decisions that I, that I make today and, and the way that I feel about things, my comprehension and my understanding of who God is and who I am was completely changed some years ago. And the life you see me living today is a result of that change. I'm a living, I consider myself to be a living miracle and an example of the grace of God. The hope that I live with is truly an anchor to me and is the most precious thing that I possess. So what I'm sharing with you today is very close to my heart. But enough of that for now. Before we start, I really into the message, there's two quotes that I want to read out of a book that I was given some time ago by a brother here, and it's called The Secret of the Strength. Who's ever heard of that book? I think Albert is the only one that would have heard of it. But on the below the title, it says, What Would the Anabaptists Tell This Generation? And I want to just read two Short quotes out of that book before we start, and perhaps if I think about it, I'll reread them after the message. So, a Dirk Phillips wrote this. Who would have heard of Dirk Phillips? He was an Anabaptist early on. Whatever God has not commanded, that he prohibits us to command. Therefore, all worship and practice that is not instituted by a direct command of God is wrong, no matter how many human arguments defend it. Another quote here, be aware of all innovations and teachings that do not come from the word of God, the, from the word of Christ and his apostles. Point to Christ and his word at all times. Let all those who would introduce anything more than what Christ teaches in his word be anathema. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That was by a Menno Simons. For those of us that have grown, grown up in church, I want to ask you, which we probably, for the most part, have all grown up in church. Most of us would have grown up in a Mennonite church. But out of curiosity for me, it's not necessarily something I need to know for the message today. But how many here, and I would like if you would raise your hands, how many here were involved in some kind of church split in their lifetime? Keep your hands up and look around. It's, it's interesting. Bethel started from a church split. But I believe that we're a testament today 
to God's power to work all things together for good to those who love him. But we do not operate like a typical Mennonite church. What's different? Here are perhaps a few of the bigger differences. Here you do not have to be a member of a church to take communion. We baptize on confession of faith. We have guidelines, not rules. I want to share more on that later because you may be wondering what exactly is the difference. We have a member a membership here. We have a non-membership here. We have a brotherhood that brings both together. We are all equal but have different roles. Why am I preaching about this? A lot of the reason is from an encouragement from a friend and a conversation I had on the phone. And that friend was part of the support team and his name is Phil. And I doubt he realizes that he may be the cause for the message today. But we were sharing together and he said, Marv, I think it'd be very good for you to share some of how you feel with the church. And I don't know that I ever really had. Of course, you've heard different things and different messages. But today is, and the last time I preached, is sharing my heart for the church. I want to talk a little bit about rules and authority. I've met many people over the years that spent time under a system of authority and rules. And many of those people had experiences that were significant or that altered their thinking or, you know, in some way or another. But in general, if the rules were not followed correctly, there was often consequences. There was shame involved. Often people struggle with condemnation and years after are still dealing with bitterness. I hear many stories of being forced to confess a broken rule of sin. They were often called rebellious or disobedient worldly-minded, kicking against the pricks. Maybe some of that was warranted, but was that always the case? Or were they disciplined or forced to confess simply because they were not in line with the system? I feel systems of authority and rules are all too often breeding grounds for pride and also produce critical attitudes on one side. On the other side, I feel they often cause hurts and condemnation for those that fail to live up to the standards set forth. Is this the best way to preserve culture and to keep out the world? Here are some thoughts. The Good Shepherd does not force us to follow him or control us by fencing us in. Rather, he draws us into trusting and following him by what he offers us. I like that. I think it's beautiful. John 10, several verses, and they're not all consecutive, 4 and 5, 9, 11, and 14 to 15. And when he putteth forth his sheep, his own sheep, he goeth before them, 
and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. I love the freedom it gives there. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What should our response be to the beautiful picture it gives of Christ the Good Shepherd? Is it to build a fence to help? This should be our response. Psalms 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Think of this. And you can have different opinions. I'm sharing from my experience, and you have yours. Church splits have become commonplace. Retention rates are low. And many folks, for lack of life and hope, are searching elsewhere, often losing value for our way of life. Why is this? Is the world creeping into our churches? Perhaps it is. Or perhaps our systems are proving ineffective at keeping us from the world. What is the world? 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's key. Love not the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Romans 12, verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you agree with this? Let's consider this for a bit, and let's take an enlightening journey of thought. Some folks seem to thrive under a structural system of authority and rules and never rock the boat. They are consistent, conservative, they never change, and the system says they are great Christians. Others have a tougher time fitting into the box of structured living. They ask questions. They want answers. They tend to live on the edge. Fence riders, they are called. They are thinkers. They want to know why. If it doesn't make sense, then why do it? What's wrong with that, they may ask. Rather than call these folks unruly or rebellious, I think church leaders need to give their questions some serious thought. These people have passion and energy and wonder. Give them good answers and your church will grow. There was a friend I grew up with. He was not a close friend. He would have been 
more my brother Johnny's age, several years younger than I. His name was Scott. And when he was growing up, I always heard stories about Scott. And they were always wild stories. The time he was in a friend's car and went flying past our church house in a small town of Nottawa, Michigan, going over 100 miles an hour, you know, getting pulled over and somehow talking his way out of it. Or we hear he was standing up on his motorcycle going, I don't know how fast, but those were the tricks he loved to do. Always wild. He figured out, him and a friend, how to ground out a railroad track to make the arms come down without a train coming. And oh, that was such fun. They would hide a ways off of an intersection and they'd let a car pull up and they'd put the arms down and the car would wait and wait. And soon they would lift off the bar and arms would start to go up and they'd put it back down and the arms would go down. Finally, the car would try to go around the arms and so they'd try to put them up again and make the car slam on the brakes and back up and then they'd... What fun. Along with a spotlight that looked like a train light and, and caused them hearts and throats. I'm giving some bad ideas, I suppose. Recently, Johnny and his family went to Detroit, Michigan, and gave a, a program there of encouragement to those in a mission field in Detroit, or in a mission church. Scott is one of the head men, you could say, that kind of started the mission there. And if I remember right, he was talking to Johnny just this past, just a few weeks ago here. And he mentioned that he continually heard when he was younger to calm down. You just have to calm down. One day he realized that he doesn't need to calm down. He needs to direct his energy into something useful. And that's why he's in Detroit, serving Christ there. Do we have good answers for those that have energy and are asking questions? I want to talk a little bit about communion. Many of you know that I'm very passionate about taking part in the emblems uncondemned being able to fully appreciate what Christ did and not having to try to look back over my life and make big deals out of imperfections and, and little things. God never specified that your lives must be in order by having all I's dotted and T's crossed before you take communion. We have no permission that I can find to use communion as a way to enforce, to enforce our own rules. Examining ourselves before we partake has nothing to do about how perfect we lived in the past year or how well we followed the standards, but rather it is a reminder that we, 
remember his broken body. Communion should, in fact, be a reminder to us of our imperfection. We are righteous not because of how well we lived in the past year, but because his body was broken for us. However, if you are living in sin, you must repent by turning from your wicked ways. Confession is good, but it is not repentance. Waiting until communion to confess with, way, with a, a vague reference to making a mistake is both dangerous and foolhardy for you and reflects a heart that I feel is not truly repentant. We must repent. I want to read some verses that are very interesting to think about. And it's asking some questions. Colossians 2, 20-23. And I'll read it in the King James first. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men? which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. I want to read it now in the New Living Translation. It does a lot of the explaining, but from what I can tell, matches up very much with what the King James would be saying. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And many have found that exact thing to be true in a very sad way, realizing that following a structure does nothing to conquer a person's evil desires. Only Christ, only dying to the world can do that. Rising to new life with Christ. If we are truly dead to the world and alive with Christ, why are we acting like we have not died to sin by needing to follow rules such as don't handle, don't touch, don't taste? Rules sound right, seem wise, take discipline to live out, but provide no help to conquer a person's sinful desires. I say we need more passion for the person of Christ, not more rules. We need more thankfulness, not more structure. We need more thankful. We need, we must value, I'm sorry, we must value our hope more than we value our position or possessions. Do you value your hope? This is the question that I've already asked a number of you. Where does the church get authority to enforce rules by forced confession or not allowing participation in communion? So a little bit about guidelines versus rules. But first about our membership. We don't offer a membership here that really offers any perks. I don't know if that's the right word. It doesn't seem like the right word. It should be 
a more, a less casual word, but that's the only one I could come up with. Membership is not for us, it's for you. My membership, I feel is for me, not for you. And for me to fully commit myself to the work of, the, of Christ within the church, I wanted to be a member if the, if, if the church offered a membership. I wanted to be a member. And if I remember right, I was the very first one to actually stand and give my and, and commit myself to the membership of the church. And it's very special for me to be a member here. And I'm saying that with no malice, no, I'm not condemning anyone who's decided to attend here and not be a member. I feel that we have, in a unique way, included members and non-members in one brotherhood, and we embrace you both and consider you brothers and sisters. But membership, rather, is your commitment to the brotherhood. I believe having operating that way and, and looking at having guidelines versus rules helps us even to live in a more genuine way. And it helps us to not confuse unity with uniformity. So a little bit about our guidelines. I feel our guidelines, and we have guidelines, we have them in a handbook that has been in progress for several years. And we're hoping to get that finalized and get them more readily available. I believe our guidelines are simply a reflection of our system of values, a reminder of how we really want to live. So think about this. Guidelines versus rules. When you join the membership here at Bethel, I like to think we operate by a system of honor. It's expected that you follow the guidelines as a way to honor each other's values, and it's a way we can care for each other. I like to think that guidelines help to protect a valued lifestyle. We value our heritage and lifestyle because it can be used to provide a good environment for our faith. I would even encourage those that have not joined the membership to consider the guidelines if you regularly attend. However, I do not believe that we have the biblical authority to give church discipline or put someone out of communion for not following the guidelines. I believe rules with consequences have done harm to the cause of passing on our way of life to the next generation. Why? I feel it causes resentment of values. I want to read this. I believe rules with consequences have done harm to the cause of passing on our way of life by causing resentment of values that we ought to love and appreciate. When someone takes something that you value, such as communion, and uses it as a means to control you, well, you will likely begin to resent that. We must keep a clear distinction between guidelines to preserve culture and lifestyle and what the Bible defines as sin. One way we do this is by recognizing that guidelines are not a fence. They cannot keep out the world. It's been proven again and again that the world can and often does reside 
in the hearts of people that live with even the strictest systems of rule and authority and disciplines. Moral failure, abuse, and deceitfulness is not rare, but rather frequent under the cloak of strict authority and control. Matthew 15, 16 to 20, Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding, and do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. I'm sharing this so that you know my heart and can understand why I do not police the guidelines. Simply put, I do not feel I have the authority, nor do I have the desire to do so. We hear much about holding each other accountable. But I think all too often, folks use accountability as a cloak for criticism. Romans 13, 8-10 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it's briefly comprehended in this saying. Namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Prayer is often used as an excuse for gossip. Talk goes on behind someone's back because nobody wants to offend, and the rules are often used to eye one another with eyebrows raised in judgment. I believe this happens frequently when we live with a touch-not, taste-not, handle-not mindset. James 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When a church operates with a touch-not, taste-not, handle-not list of rules, and only members that follow the list correctly are allowed to partake of the emblems in communion with Christ, that church is in danger of drawing eyes away from our Savior's sacrifice and onto each other. I feel this is a serious issue that churches ought to address. Here at Bethel, my heart is to continually draw our eyes off of ourselves and each other and look up. I believe only then can we have compassion and love one for another instead of criticism. Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Praise the Lord. I want to read Colossians chapter 3 in closing. Think if this was our guidelines for our church. 
In fact, it is, right? It is our guidelines for our church. In any case, this is a dear chapter to me personally, and it is my conviction that whenever, if ever, we have relationship issues or we start having factions within our family here, the way forward lies within these pages, not within a list or statement that we ourselves have written. So I want to read this. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels and mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ, but he that doth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. You may have questions. Such as, how will you control modesty? What if someone wears a tie to church? What about wedding rings? What about those small veils? What about the TV? Are you okay with alcohol? These are valid questions.
will say this, these things can feel threatening to a way of life that many of us value and that I hope you value as well. My heart, for those of us who wear and do these things, is the same as my heart for those of us with concern. I want you to know that I love you and I care for you as brothers and sisters in Christ. My heart is that we can experience the fullness of Christ and live with true contentment and joy by hiding our identity in Him. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And again, Colossians 3, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Let us not concern ourselves overmuch with how we look in the mirror. Let us also not be consumed with the affairs and choices of our fellow Christians. Remember Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. You, dear brother and sister, are responsible to create a proper environment for the Word of God to grow in your own heart. And you should also consider your brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 15 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. We are not an island, but what we decide to do and where and how we conduct ourselves affects not just our lives, but also the lives of those with whom we commune. In closing, I want to say this. Lord willing, I'm planning to talk about a good guide that my family and I use for how we dress in the next message. So pray for me as I prepare for that. Meanwhile, I want you to know that I'm committed to preaching the truth of the gospel. I want to teach and expound the Word of God, not so that we become biblicists, but that through the pages of Scripture we see the love of God and Christ our hope. That we can live transformed by the renewing of our minds. Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I reckon that's enough to think about for one day. God bless you.
expensive, but you can always get single things for it. I mean, I thought that was 